If you would take your Bibles, I hope you brought If you didn't, you should find one under a pew chair near you and turn to Matthew chapter 7. While they're leaving, just a a couple of words. Uh, Last weekend, a lot of people came Saturday morning and helped do uh, cleanup and uh, spring work around the church. Thank you very much. And this Saturday, a whole bunch of people, you can tell which ones they are by the suntans, uh, came and helped with the uh, tractor pull outreach, and it went well. By the way, it was the biggest one we've ever had, and uh, it went well. And uh, we just appreciate you helping and uh, being a part of that, and thank you for praying uh, in that direction. This morning, we're going to continue the God Questions campaign. We have already looked at, is the Bible true? Is God real? And today we're going to look at one of those other big questions. Do all roads, do all paths lead to heaven? Now, you might say, well, this is pretty obvious. Uh, We know what the answer to that is. But do you have confidence? Remember, confidence or courage is not the lack of intimidation or the lack of fear. It is doing what is good and right and proper in spite of the intimidation or the fear or those other roadblocks that would be in your way. See, we can have confidence in how we live and how we live out our faith, but we also need confidence in expressing our faith and living it out before others. The purpose of this is to inform you that you can have confidence in the truth, the truth of the Word of God, the reality of God, the reality of the work of Jesus Christ, and you can know that you're saved. You can know you're going to heaven and then have that confidence in that truth to be able to speak out uh, to those that do not know or aren't sure. We want you to be confident, confident based on the truth. Now, you've seen this slide many times. You're going to see it every sermon. What is truth? It agrees with the facts. It conforms to reality. It is proven by the evidence. And that's going to be a big one this morning. And it's verified in practice. If it doesn't meet those four criteria, it's suspect at best. It's probably even worse than that, but it's suspect at best. This morning, if you've already turned to Matthew chapter 7, I encourage your intention there for a few moments. Because we're going to talk about all roads leading to heaven. Do they all lead to heaven or don't they? I propose to you this morning that biblically and practically there are only two roads. Only two. Christianity is unique. That's my last point. All other religions, faiths, systems, philosophies, all are a part of the other one. And there's a lot of good reasons for it. We will look at those as we go through the sermon. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, is a passage that probably most of you have heard before. But it says, enter by the narrow gate. So it makes a positive statement. God says there's a narrow gate. You're supposed to go in that. And then he goes on to tell you why you should do that. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter by it. Notice the emphasis I tried to put on there. Now let's look at the second one, which is the positive one. For the gate is 
small, and the way is that leads to life. Yeah, and there are few that enter in it. Notice, the broad gate, I'm sorry, the broad way, the, the wide gate. It says lots of people go in there. It's obvious. It's easy. I got a picture. I, I've never pictured this quite in my mind, and I'm still not sure I fully picture this yet in my mind. But that's just assume. Because I'm thinking, okay, there's a wide, a, a wide gate, and then there's a narrow one. You know, you can kind of get through. But I think it's better looking at like this. It's like from here to the wall, that's the broad gate. It's a big one. You could drive a tractor trailer, two, three, or four of them side by side through it. And then there's over here, and there's the narrow gate. The narrow gate. Because the narrow gate is the one that I said is unique. We're going to save that for the end of the sermon. But it's unique. Because all other systems, the ones that are in the broad and the wide way, all say that you can contribute something of yourself for your ultimate destiny, for your salvation. One way, the narrow way, says you have nothing to contribute. I'll tell you what, that goes against my ego. That goes against my old nature. That goes against what I'd like to think about myself. That, well, I have something to offer. I'm not all that bad. I mean, I'm not good, but I've got something to offer. The Bible says you have nothing that you can offer that pleases God. Wow, that is different. All the other systems of this world say you have something you can offer. Let's do a little chart here. If you can follow along, maybe this will be helpful. Religion. Remember, religion is the one that is the wide gate and the broad pathway, the broad road. Christianity is the one that's very narrow. It is the one that says there are few. It's narrow. The gate is small, and it leads to life. The other one leads to destruction. So one is easy, easy to find. You can find it everywhere. You can put it by any brand name you want, but it's there. It's easy. And I will tell you one other thing. Everything that is called Christian is not Christian. And I'll get to that eventually. We're not there yet. But let's look at religion. What is the authority? It can be a man, an individual human being. It can be, in some cases, simply a philosophy or books written by someone or a bunch of people. But it's no narrow way. It's broad. You can put anything in it. I could write a book and say, hey, this is the way to God. I'm not going to do that, by the way, but I'm just telling you I could do that. So could you. And there would be a few people who would follow. On the other hand, Christianity, biblical Christianity says there's only one way to God. There's only one authority, and that is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through or by me. No one else. And our final authority is the Word of God. It itself is unique. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. What about man? I already said about this. But every religion in the world, no matter what they call themselves, has as a part of it that you are capable of completely or partially pleasing God. You have in you something that makes it possible for you to please God. It may just be a capacity. 
It may be a spark of divinity. And fact is, some religions tell you you are God or can become God. That's what they say. On the other hand, Christianity says you're incapable of pleasing God. Now, I want to make something very clear. It doesn't mean the worst person in the world doesn't make some good decisions, some right decisions. That is not what it says. It simply says they don't please God. You can make right decisions for a completely wrong motive. You can make a right decision so you look good. So people will notice you. Or so you feel good about it. You may try to get away with something. You've never done that, of course. You know, you do something nice so they'll miss the bad stuff. People do it for all reasons. But you know what? They don't please God. God says, I have done it all for you. You can add nothing to it. Salvation. All religions say it's by man's effort, by man's work. It's by doing. It's ongoing, continuing. And you must add to it. They may have a savior of some sort, but it's never complete. In fact, there's a lot of forms of Christianity do exactly the same thing. They will point to Christ and then say, okay, now you've got to do this, 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 and this. I don't care what name it's given. Some of them are cults. Some of them are Catholic. Some are Protestant. It doesn't matter. They add to the work of Christ. It's absolutely not biblical. It's all wrong because you're adding something to a perfect work. I have a stupid illustration I use when I witness to people sometimes. I'll say, you have a bucket of muddy water. How much more mud do you have to put in the bucket to make it clean? See, our life is like the muddy water. So how many good works can I do? How much things can I put in there, you know, that are on my own to make it clean? Well, we know what it happens. It just muddies it worse. That's what happens. But that's religion. You may be sitting here this morning and simply be religious according to this definition. You may say, well, I understand about Christ. I believe the Bible. But if you believe you can add something to the finished work of Christ, you're still living in religion. I'm going to challenge you. It's by faith, by grace, plus nothing. Because Christianity says, everything I needed to be right with God to be perfectly holy has already been done. It is finished. Jesus, it is finished. That's what he said. Everything that could be done, needs to be done, has been done. And that was done 2,000 years ago. There's nothing you can add to it. You cannot help him in any way. He is the one that makes you righteous. He is the one that makes you good. You have nothing to contribute. What we do need to do is accept that by faith. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power, the authority, to become the children of God. How do we do that? By believing on his name. That's what we do. And only that. It is not a work. In fact, as they came to Jesus in John chapter 8, and they said, what shall we do that we work the works of God? And he said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. Now, that's not a work. That's an act of faith. 
But they wanted to know, what do we do? What do we do to, to be a part of this, you know, what we can do to contribute to our salvation? He says, you can't do anything. What you need to do is believe the one who he sent. And the one who he sent said, it is finished. There's nothing more you can add to it. That's pure, straightforward, biblical Christianity. There's nothing you can add to it. What about God? Religion goes the full gamut. Some of them believe that there is simply no God. He doesn't exist, never did exist. We talked about that in one of the other sermons. There are those that believe God is distant. Yes, there's a God. He's somewhat personal, but he's very distant. You don't really get to know him. You don't have a relationship with him. Others believe he's some impersonal force of some sort and lots of other things in between. We'll look at a few of those because some believe there are many, many gods. Some believe everything is God, but it's broad. It's, as it says in the Bible, it's broad. It leads to destruction. On the other hand, the Bible teaches very clearly that God is a personal God. He has created us in his image. What does that mean? That we can communicate with him. We can interact with him. He has a mind He has sensibility, desire, or emotion, whatever you want to call that, and a will. He has given us those things. We need to exercise them. And we can communicate with them. And Him, and He communicates with us. That's the God of the Bible. Yes, He is pure spirit. Yes, He is absolutely eternal. He wasn't made up by man's imagination. And He is holy. That is, He is set apart from everything that is sinful, everything that is less than Him. He is absolutely holy. That's why we can never please him. Because unless you did something absolutely perfect, it does not please God. That's the God of the Bible. But he is a personal God. Is he far away? Is he huge? Is he great? Is he in heaven? Is he everywhere? Yes. And does he want to be close to you? Dave said yes. I'm going to take it a step further. He says, if you trust me, I will take up residence and your body will become my temple. That's closer than close. That's a personal God. No other religion system has anything close to that. What else? History. Chris alluded to this when he was doing his uh, moment for mission. Muhammad went off by himself, came out and said, this is what God says. By the way, if you don't know this, when he was seeing these visions and hearing these voices, he could not at first differentiate if it was the devil or Satan, I mean, the devil or God talking to him. He came out and decided eventually that it was God. Nobody, nobody can verify that. Buddha, when he decided to meditate for 40 days under the tree. Nobody knows what came to him. There are those that follow Islam that follow on the word of one man. Same with Buddha. Nobody can verify it. It's mysterious. Hinduism, nobody actually, there is no founder of Hinduism. It's just a whole bunch of things put together. Other religions, and we'll look at a few of them, uh, nobody really knows how they started. It's shrouded in mystery. On the other hand, Christianity is verifiable. We can look, 
Was there a real, physical, literal Jesus Christ? The answer is yes. Was His Word seen and verified by numerous people? Hundreds and thousands of people? The answer is yes. All of those are true. The words that have been spoken, were they witnessed to, testified to by many? The answer is yes. The deeds that Christ did, many people saw them. He did nothing in a corner. He did nothing in the dark. It is a mystery in that we don't understand it all. I agree with that. But it's not mysterious in the sense that we can't go back and verify it. In fact, we said the other day, whether it's history or archaeology, it doesn't matter. Every time they come up with something, it does not contradict the Bible, but simply backs it up. And that will continue the rest of your lives because there's lots more to be found yet. It continues in that direction. What is the motive? The motive for the person. You might think obedience, fear, and pride are, how do you put all those together? Here's what it comes down to. It's pride in that I've done something to please God. Look at me. I'm better than you. Hey, look at me. I did this, and that makes me better than you, and I'm a step closer to heaven or whatever it is than you are. That's pride. By the way, if you have pride in here, get rid of it because you've had nothing to add. It might be fear. It's like, if I don't do it, it's exactly right. God's going to zap me. That's a lot of them. It's fear. You want to be right with God? You've got to follow every little rule and make sure you don't break one. Because if you do, you're losing your salvation. You're in big trouble. And obedience. It's blind obedience. You must do it. There's no love there. It's cold. On the other hand, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. That's exactly right. Totally different motive. They're uh, they're incompatible. True biblical Christianity is incompatible with anything on the first column. Absolutely incompatible with it. Oh, no doubt about it. We fear God in the sense of reverence and awe for Him and fear if we choose to thumb our nose at Him in sin. Oh, yeah, I know about that. Does He call us to obedience? Absolutely He does. Are there things that we can be proud of in the good sense? In the good sense. Not look at me. But it's, you know what? I have been obedient and... Paul said, I can boast. But what do I boast in? I boast in what Christ has done for me, not what I have done. Completely different motive. And then the last one. This one may, I put it last on purpose, because this one puts the capstone. There is no religion, including, as I said before, some that claim Christianity, because they add works. Just remember, the moment you put something of you in the mix, you could goof it up. And you will never be guaranteed or secure in your salvation. It's impossible. How do you know if you got it right? Did you have the right motive? The right attitude? Did you do it exactly right? Was this ritual done right? You don't know. No religion can say to you, you can know. But Christianity is totally different. See, they have no guarantees. But we can be secure. Why? 
because Paul Mulfair had nothing to do with his salvation. And you know what? If you're trusting Christ, you have nothing to do with it. He provided a complete, finished, and perfect work. That's what it's based on. So the security is not that, oh, man, I'm a great guy. Absolutely not. It's based on that we have a great and perfect Savior. That's it. There's just no compatibility. So there is a broad, wide way. It leads to destruction, and a lot of people are heading that direction. You know what? I'm going to run out of time, so let me tell you what the bottom line of this whole sermon is. I know that always, you're all laughing at me, and that's okay. I don't care. Um, Is if you believe that lots of people, the majority of the world, is going through a wide gate and a broad path, and it leads to destruction, you cannot simply come to church on a Sunday morning and say, I'm glad I'm trusting Christ. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. It is going to change the way you look at missions. It's going to change the way you look at your ministry. It's going to change the way you look at your neighbor, your friends, your relatives, your co-workers, because you're going to say, wow, I have a message that's secure. They don't know. I have the truth. They need to know it. And you know what? I'm being selfish if I don't share it. I know the tractor pull, Dave Lamb gave a gospel message, and then we turned him loose, and he was, I saw him going around talking to guys. You know what? Those guys, most of them, the vast majority, are not going to church this morning. But we had not, Dave had an opportunity yesterday to give them the gospel. Now, that's a lot of work for a five-minute gospel presentation. But I agree with Dave when he prayed is that's the reason we're here. That's why Jolene has a sunburn. (laughs) Anybody want to see her sunburn? See it there? I told her, be careful. She didn't care. But anyhow, the point is, it's a lot of work. But if I have the truth, and I know I have the truth, that should motivate me to give the truth. That's the end of the sermon. And I have confidence to be able to do it. Because it's based on the truth. Now, let's look at a few things. I'm going to start cutting everything out now. Here's how it breaks down. And there should be a one under non-religious. There should be a two in there too. I don't know what happened to it. The computer ate it. But if you look at this, you'll see that when you take the major groups of uh, people in the world, 33% claim Christianity. That does not mean 33% of them are going to heaven. That means they claim Christ or the Bible in, in some way. But many of them, lots of them, are adding religion to it. Doesn't work that way. Islam, as you can see, is big. Non-religious includes everything from Confucianism to atheists to agnostics and lots of others. And then there's Hindu, Baptist. And then there's the last one, 6%. Uh, that is why we sent Ben and Nikki to New Guinea. Because that's who they're dealing with. Those people who have their own tribal type religions. And they're all around the world. Mostly in small pockets. But that is kind of how it breaks down. So let's take a real quick trip. And look at some of these major ones. And we're going to kind of start from the the lowest side. And uh, look at the indigenous religions of the people. They tend to be animistic. You know what the word means? Animism simply means that all created things have a soul or spirit. That's what they believe. That's not true. They believe that a rock has a soul or a spirit. 
They believe that a person has a soul and a spirit. They believe they're hot. They're, you name it, the clouds, the sun, it doesn't matter. There's some animation there. Now, what it comes down to is that they believe the soul and the spirit for human beings and for animals survives death. And that land leads to ancestor worship. Here's how it basically comes down. You need to appease or help that spirit on. Appease because if something violent happened, and this is why when you hear missionaries that come from tribal ministries, you'll hear them talk about these bizarre superstitions and rituals and culture that these tribal people have. Most of it is trying to appease the souls or spirits that have departed because they may come back and take vengeance. And so you have to appease them. Or because they were here and they are to be honored, you offer sacrifices and worship in that direction. It goes all directions and a mismatch, mismatch, a mixture of all of them. Thank you. Oh, wow. That didn't work. Anyway, but all kinds of bizarre rituals and things like that. They also believe in something else. Polytheism. Theism has to do with God and poly meaning many. So here's what it comes down. There are many gods. It kind of goes with animism. That rock may not only have a soul and spirit, but that rock may be God. A person may be God. An animal may be God. You don't know. But there are many gods. Usually one god is picked out among the, mess, uh, the rest of them, or even a number of gods are pulled out to be worshipped above and beyond the rest of them. And uh, these gods may inhabit the objects. We're going to look at pantheism, which is a different one later. Um, and that means the object itself is God. But in this case, the god inhabits those objects. Pharaoh would have been a good example of this because they believe Pharaoh's son was God. Okay? So it, it's been a long time coming. But that's, that's uh, the animistic polytheism of the world. We look at them and we say, we're just, they're just ignorant. They're not any more ignorant than somebody that is uh, following something that's much more organized. How about Buddhism? I already mentioned a few things about Buddha, but uh, Buddha's writings, you never hear people going around saying, oh, we don't know if the Buddhist writings from, I can't pronounce the Buddha's name. It's some long Indian type name. I can't, so they call him the Buddha, the enlightened one. Here's what happened, is he was uh, trained by the religious leaders of his day to the fullest. And he said, something still is wrong, suffering hasn't been eliminated. And so he went by himself, and as I mentioned before, I believe, he had um, visions and, and heard voices and all these kinds of things, and he meditated for 40 days. The results of his meditation were the Buddhist writings. But guess what? Nobody was there. Nobody else heard them. And then they were passed down by his followers for the next 400 years. And then finally, 400 years later, they were written down. Now, I hear people questioning the Bible on a regular basis. The people who were the recipients saw the writings. You can verify it. We have hundreds and thousands of, of manuscripts, not Buddhism. 
In fact, is Buddha was at the point where he was trying to be holy. He was trying, except it didn't seem to work. It didn't get rid of suffering. He went to the point where he inflicted pain on himself to try to get rid of it. He almost starved himself to death. He was on the verge of death when he finally realized this doesn't work. And then that's when he went away for 40 days. And what he came back with is what Buddhists call the middle way. It's not self-indulgence and it's not self-mortification or hurting yourself. Somewhere in between. And this is what is stressed in Buddhism. They call them the four noble truths. Life is suffering. Craving is the root cause of suffering. He kind of got that right. Think about sin there. Kind of got that right. He's not right, but he's really in the right path there. Because what gets us into sin? We want for ourselves. It's selfishness. That's craving, right? So that's a little bit like a biblical sin. But his cure is way different. The cure for suffering is to eliminate craving. Guarantee you, you have a sin nature, you're not going to eliminate it. And how do you eliminate craving? You follow the eightfold path. And this is all self-motivated, and it's all, hey, I'm doing my best. Right views, right resolve, right speech, right behavior, right occupation, right effort, right contemplation, right meditation. i got to tell you, you get all of those right, you are beyond human, you're superhuman. You'd have to be God to do that. No Buddhist can be guaranteed nirvana, nothingness, simply because no one could ever claim, I did it all right. It's just not possible. And so he believed that eventually you could get to the point where you eliminated the, and escaped the cycle of suffering and rebirth. Nirvana, nothingness, if you will, the end of suffering. But nobody can ever claim to have achieved that. Then there's Hinduism. Remember, Buddhism is a reaction to Hinduism. It's still being followed to this day. It does not have a founder. It is animistic in many ways, uh, and sometimes really greatly. Its end goal is to be reabsorbed into the great cosmo... Uh, cosmo... Yeah. Back into the universe. I can't get the word out now. It'd be unconscious. That's the end result. Nirvana again. I got my Pennsylvania Dutch eye teeth in there again. But, um, and it also goes one step further because it has pantheism. Whoop. Went too far. Also pantheism, which simply means all is God. Nature is God. Nature is deserving of reverence. I got to tell you, I'm not saying we're Hindu in this country. Think about what you hear politically correct today. Compare it with this. I'm not saying it's Hinduism. I'm saying that's a principle. Just kind of keep that in mind. That's another sermon. And they believe in reincarnation. You have karma. You've got to get rid of it. Reincarnate. You know what they have estimated? For you to get to where a Hindu believes he needs to be would require 600,000 reincarnations. Now, I've got to tell you, that's pretty bizarre. Real Hinduism teaches that you can have bad karma and you may come back as a rat or a cow or a rock. The New Age movement, which is the Americanized Hinduism, does it the American way. There's no going backward. You only go forward. 
That's the Americanized version. Doesn't that sound like America? Put that in there. But anyhow, but it's still the same old Hinduism, except you can't go backwards. The truth of the matter is, we know because of a sin nature, because we have nothing good in ourselves. Uh, while if reincarnation was true, we'd all be going the wrong direction. It's not true, but we'd be going the wrong direction. So no one would ever obtain nirvana the end result of where they believe they're going. And by the way, nirvana is simply the escape from the suffering and rebirth, and you go back to being just one part of the universe, and uh, you are now freed from thought. Every now and then you wish you could be there, but uh, that is not just the way it works. Number four, secular, non-religious, or agnostics, or atheists, traditional uh, Chinese religions like Taoism or Confucianism, they're not really religions so much as they are philosophies. Here's the point. Well, if they're atheists or agnostics and they don't believe in God, where's your God? Why are you calling that a religion today? Because we have other words that we use for that. We call it humanism or secular humanism. Guess who becomes God? Me! Or you, or whoever happens to be the authority of the day. Mankind himself becomes the touchstone. That's who we answer to. So we answer to ourselves. And of course, we know that um, that's a downhill slide there. Man is God, and everything else is irrelevant. So guess what? There are no ethics, there are no morals, there are no absolutes. Because I am the one that decides. So my truth is not the same as your truth. It just works that way. That's a big chunk. Then there's Islam, second only to Christianity, 1.3 billion people. Muhammad, as we said before, he began at the age of 40 as a reaction to the polytheism of the Arabs of his day. He said he didn't like that, and he had been exposed to Judaism. So if you want to know why Islam sounds a little like Judaism, there's a good reason. He'd been exposed to it. He rejected the polytheism of the tribal peoples around him, and he meditated. He came out with a monotheistic religion. Mono meaning one God. The same as Judaism, the same as Christianity. Came from Judaism. And uh, he decided that that is the way. These other things were wrong. The Koran is his um, version of that, and nobody can verify it. Why? Because he was the only one there. Nobody ever saw it. A lot of these things are still in dispute today because they were never written down till many years later. Muslim uh, means submission or submitted one, and in this case, it's a God who's distant. He's not a God. Oh, they use the word love every now and then, but I've read the Koran. Only a few people in this congregation have done that. I forced myself on vacation to do it. It was one of the most agonizing, painful things I've ever done. And I'm not exaggerating that. It was just painful. I know Bob Brion's read it too. But it's painful. It uses the word love a few times, but I'll tell you what, it's not the love you know about. It's not the biblical love. It's not an unconditional God loving us and doing everything for us and giving us the opportunity to respond. It is demand, obedience, fear, that kind of love. Well, it's not even a good way to put it. It doesn't even make any sense. But they believe that if they follow the five pillars of Islam, the first one reciting, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger or prophet. 
praying five times a day. Look at the news when they have in the Middle East. You can see it. They still do it. They get on their knees five times a day toward Mecca. Giving to the poor, giving alms, fasting during the month of Ramadan. And if you know anything about that, it's fasting in daylight hours and after night it's a party. At nighttime it's a party. That's what it is. Seriously, look it up. Um, and then once in a lifetime, a pilgrimage to Mecca. If you practice those and get them right, you're going to paradise. Now, paradise in Islamic terms has a little kind of vestiges of Judaism and Christianity, in it, but it's absolutely not the same. I don't have time to go into that this morning, but it's different. But again, you can never be guaranteed because did you get it right? Did you get it right? Every religion in the whole world claims to be the only way to God. Every religion is a different road. Almost all the roads seem to lead to different places. Why? Because it's a broad path. It's a wide gate. And you know what? That's okay for you. This is mine. God didn't give us that option. He said, this is the way it is. It's through a person. This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says, for Christ also died for sins once for all. That includes everybody. The just for the unjust in order that he might bring us to God. One person for all people. That's Jesus Christ. Very different than the broad way. The wide gate. It's narrow. There isn't Jesus Christ plus at all. It's no other way. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. There is no other way. That is what God says. Christianity is unique. It has been done. It is finished. There's nothing you can add to it. I challenge you here this morning. I would be more than happy to talk to you afterwards. If you're not sure, if you've trusted Christ, please don't leave here in that state. Because God wants us to know for sure. All the others is confusion. And you look. I, I, I challenge you. I have no problem. Look anything up that I've said. And there's way more than I've said. Uh, look it up. Find out for yourself. But when it comes right down to it, you're going to come back to there's one way. Someone who is absolutely perfect, who is God, that's Jesus Christ, died on my behalf. I have nothing to offer. He did it all for me. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. It's not a work. It's, it's already finished. Do I accept it? It's like a gift. If I was to take my notebook and say, here, you can have this, and I say, hey, Tom, you can have this, but uh, I want five bucks. Is that a gift? No. Because he would have to contribute something. But a gift is something that is unconditionally, unreservedly given. The only thing I have to do to make it mine is take it for myself. That's an act of faith. That's what God says. In Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That's that pride thing. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 
which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, in Christianity, we do works. But not to get saved or to stay saved. We simply work out who we are on the inside. God dwelling, living in us, working through us, our hands, our feet. That's our, that's our reason for God letting us here. It's not just to come to church Sunday mornings and sing some songs and listen to a pastor. It is so we can be God's hands and feet. Reaching out with truth, with confidence to a world that's on a broad path that was opened by a wide door that leads to destruction. We have a job to do, folks, and we can do it with truth, and we can do it with confidence. I'm really out, but go ahead. We'll do it real quick. Okay. Um, this week's question um, says, we know that there's nothing that we can do, um, with the, or add, sorry, there's nothing we can add to the work that Christ did on the cross. Um, but what do we do when we doubt our motives as to why we got saved? For example, having selfish motives um, to prevent hell. Uh, to, in other words, is, is it wrong to say later on in life, well, I got saved because I need a fire escape from hell? I believe so. I will tell you a, a very short answer here, and we can discuss this tonight if you want to come back. But um, I don't know anywhere in the Bible that it says there's a wrong motive or a right motive for trusting Christ. All I know is this, that you've recognized that you're a sinner and you can't make it on your own. Lots of people, if I ask all of you that are Christians, why did you trust Christ? I can tell you that every one of you will have a little bit different answer. But ultimately it comes down to that you were trusting Jesus Christ and Him alone. Otherwise you're not saved. What prompted that... Oh, in my case, it was frustration because I was trying hard and it didn't work. I remember one of my sons, uh, my wife had, he was bad that day and my wife was talking to him about Christ and they were, he was supposed to take a nap. He jumps out of bed and said, I'm, I'm, she goes, what are you doing? She, he said, I'm going to pray because I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> now she didn't, wasn't threatening with hell, but he knew that he needed to trust Christ and that was his motivation. So it was a fire escape from hell for him. And she said, well, why are you doing that? She said, well, Dad, Dad and the pastor, when, when we pray on uh, Sunday nights, we kneel. So he got out of bed and out by his bed. He was three years old. You know what? I'm not judging that motive. Some of you may have just been overwhelmed by the love of God. Hey, that's great, too. Maybe you just came to contact with truth. And you realize, I need to trust Christ. I don't know that the background motive has anything to do with it. Because guess what? That would be like, okay, did I have the right motive? No. It's, have I trusted the right person? Have I trusted the work of Jesus Christ? That's all that matters. You may go back and say, wow, that was pretty shallow. It might have been. But guess what? If you've trusted Christ, that's all that matters. Let's all stand together as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us truth, the Word of God, Jesus Christ. You've allowed us to verify it and continue to do so in this world. And Lord, we thank you that we can trust the finished work, a work that we can add nothing to. In fact, is if we try, we mess it up. Lord, I pray that no one would leave here today without knowing for sure that Jesus Christ is their Savior, that they have trusted Him by faith that they know they have a secure place with Him in heaven because their sins have been forgiven. Christ is their Savior. 
Their life has been changed. Lord, thank you so much for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go with God.